0: Hello everybody and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kyle Fincham. This is Behind the Movement and my guest today is Aaron Cantor. I'm thrilled to share this with you. I'm going to get to it momentarily. First, I want to thank everybody who joined for Movement Conversations alongside Roya Carreras and I at Perry Dance Center on Sunday. It was um, such a special event and it was an honor to uh, facilitate alongside Roy. It was an honor to be at Perry Dance and the, the group that came out was so beautiful so thank all of you and we're going to do it again this Sunday at 1 p.m. at Perry Dance in New York City. If you'd like to be there you can just go to PerryDance.com and uh, go to their go to their open class schedule and uh, the information should be all right there. Also, uh, I'm continuing to do Infinite Play in New York City on Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. These Infinite Play jams, they're super fun. We're running uh, into April now. Uh, We had to cancel this last week because of weather, but we're adding another one in April. And then who knows, maybe we'll continue doing them through April until I take off for uh, the bigger workshops, the longer two-day workshops that'll start in May. There's a full calendar of events starting in May and going all the way to August, beginning in North America and going into Europe. Uh, if you want any info on that, you can just go to my website. That's at And I'd love to see you out there. I'm, uh, I'm super thrilled to, uh, to have so many opportunities to be out there connecting and sharing. It's amazing. That's all I got. Those are my announcements. Um, This was a really special conversation that I got to have here with Aaron. Um, Normally, I guess I would read the bio that I have for whoever I'm I'm, I'm speaking with, but I, I think the best thing that I can say about Aaron, or the thing that I would like to say, is that Aaron is the person who has been recommended to me the most by past podcast guests. So people I've had on here to speak with, a great number of them have said, hey, you should speak with Aaron Cantor. Uh, Various uh, reasons um, as a thinker, as somebody who's been in and around movement for a long time, who's played a significant role in in adding to the conversation of movement. Um, the list goes on of people who've who've recommended uh, from. I think if I think back, I think Rafe Kelly, I think Tom Wexler, I think uh, Marlo Fiskin, I think Sam Starr. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, a laundry list of people said I should speak to Aaron, and and I. Finally, got connected with him through um, through Trevor Hash, who I had here on the podcast, who was also somebody who said, "Hey, uh, have you spoken to Aaron Cantor?" So, yeah, I'm I'm really thrilled to get to share this with you. This was a special conversation for uh, both of us. I think, uh, I think Aaron felt the same. But I I've not long into our conversation, uh, I felt like I was. Speaking to somebody who who's had very very similar thoughts, and you know, perhaps as far as uh, being some version of a, a kindred spirit. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm really excited to share this. Uh, I think we're going to speak again very very soon, and, and we'll potentially have a, a a part two to this. Um, so we'll call this part one. And I'm not going to waste a ton of time. I will just add that. At about the thirty-minute mark, we had a little bit of a, a, a like a technological faux pas. So there's a, a a break that I edited out. That was just silence for maybe two or three minutes. That'll on your end maybe be silence for about five or six seconds. Um, so there's a little break in the conversation, but we pick it right back up from there. Um, yeah, without any further ado, my conversation with Aaron Cantor. Amazing! Thanks so much for uh, getting back to me, man. This is a a, a real pleasure.
1: Yeah, I'm psych- I'm psyched to do this. Um, yeah, it's tell me a little bit, a bit about yourself. So- what-
0: um, well, I'm in New York at the moment. I'm uh, okay. you know call it call it without a home, call it nomadic, whatever it is at the moment um I had a I had a movement gym here and we closed because of COVID in March 2020 and since then I've been kind of on like a whirlwind developed a a concept and an idea that I want to share so I travel and teach that as a as a workshop now and that's how I spend most of my time kind of things around that um so I went to Europe last year and I and I Shared it in six countries, and I'll go back again this year. But also do some stuff in Canada and other parts of the U.S. as well. So nice. What's, what's the, the simico- basic idea? Um, have you read the book "Finite and Infinite Games"?
1: Dude, it's my favorite book. Yeah.
0: Well, then we have a lot to talk about because my <laughs> workshop is called <laughs> my workshop is called Infinite Play.
1: Oh, interesting. That's that's so, beautiful.
0: So it's a play centered workshop but in some ways it's more about explore, exploring the idea of playfulness through the the vehicle of movement
1: yeah yeah, yeah. beautiful that's yeah. interesting a lot of my work is centered around that idea as well um really yeah yeah finite essentially yeah so so play is wonderful right and games are structures that can facilitate play so I've tried to create games that allow us to um, tap into what it's like to be an infinite player, which doesn't necessarily exclude finite games. And, mm-hmm. and in another word, in other words, finite games can be a really beautiful tool to engage in play. So you play as if you want to win, mm-hmm. but you're not playing to win, even though you still want to win, you know? So there, there's like the the inner game and the outer game, where they
0: hmm it's it's i realize it's a very difficult battle using the term win maybe through like a, the lens of like western culture right because it's asking somebody to like what happens if maybe you're playing to win but more importantly you're playing to keep the play going yeah and 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 i think that's almost a difficult concept to a point where i've discovered i'm almost like we can, we have to t- i i find i take winning out of the equation just entirely Totally. Because and and it's not because I don't think it can be valuable. Like I do jujitsu, for instance, right? But I also see that then it becomes um, an act for themselves for, for ourselves as opposed to an act for us. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. An act, yeah, exactly for the space between us, for the entity that we're becoming, for whatever is happening.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Amazing, yeah, though, Amazing,
0: amazing that that's your favorite, one of your favorite books.
1: Yep. Yeah, so that's great. How did you how did you come across? How do you structure your workshops, and how do you structure the the whole notion of play?
0: Well, it's definitely something that I think of as. Um, I always say that I you know I read this book about cooperative learning a while back, and that you know when cooperative learning became popularized, like everything, people try to systematize it. And it couldn't work that way because what you really needed was teachers and facilitators who kind of embodied a value and then walked in and and painted a picture with whoever was there with them in that space in that time. So while I have certain ideas and things that may be part of some degree of a structure, I walk in more with like the value and is like, well, who's here right now and how do we do it? Uh, And, And yeah, so it evolves around playing, dancing, fighting, but really the play to play mindset, you know what I mean? And also kind of making valiant efforts to just pose interesting questions that allow people to get out of their own way. Yeah. Right. I think that there's a lot of spaces where the term play is thrown around and not that it's not play, but when I look at like mammals and children, I don't know that adults always get that close or as close as they, they think that they are getting. And yeah, my effort is just kind of like suck the judgment out and let everybody be a part of this like collective painting and and see where it goes. But um yeah, it's magical and I'm learning as I do it and I'm I I feel lucky and it's weird and uh surprising. Um so yeah, it's uh it's a unique it's a unique thing to get to be a part of.
1: Yeah. That's lovely. I trust that so much more than um formulas,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know codified teaching styles even though there's a value to those i i personally really appreciate when a teacher just shows up and um embodies what they're trying to teach so they they are the message you know Mm -hmm. and the space they create is the teacher versus Mm -hmm. here the set of principles i'm imparting Mm -hmm. Um, that's wonderful
0: you know, it makes me think of um, something that I think uh, Shira is someone you know, right? Yazier? Yeah, she
1: a good friend. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So Shira, I had her on the podcast and, you know, I've been fortunate to chat with so many people. And I realize now when I show up and do workshops, I feel like there's a piece of every person who is like in it. Um, hmm. But she said something that's, you know, around what we're talking about. And I asked her about teaching and she said, you know, I don't really think of what I'm doing as teaching or I don't really want to teach. I'd rather facilitate. And when I asked her to clarify, she said, well, teaching means you're showing up knowing what each person needs to learn or you think you know. And facilitating Mm -hmm. is just creating the opportunity for everybody to learn what they need to learn. Yeah. You know, it's the art of asking questions.
1: Yeah, which is a a beautiful thing. The whole inquiry-based learning is Mm -hmm. big. Yeah, it's a big thing, inquiry-based learning. And it, it ties into play for me because I think play can kind of happen in many different arenas. So um, there's word play, you know, we could just play around with words and joke and pun and like, that's a form of play. It's, it may not be as um, physical, but it is play, you know. Um, and lately I've been thinking of play as essentially the act of drawing a kind of invisible magical circle around one aspect of your experience, excluding everything else and paying ridiculous amounts of attention to what's in the circle. Mm -hmm. Um, So it requires or involves some kind of constraint and some kind of exclusion. But because of that, there's a lot of depth and Will that translate out into other aspects of your life? Probably, you know, but that's not the point. I think when mm-hmm. we make play too utilitarian, like do this playful thing because then you'll be more productive and you'll be a better parent. and you, the, All that's true. But if you do it for that purpose, you're actually not playing, you, you know? know? Like you have yeah. to actually drop the purposes and just play, enter play for play's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: yeah. yeah, beautiful things happen. And do, and, and do it because it's just, it's, it's deeply human. You know, yeah. it's, deep, it's deeply animal. You know, it's, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm with you. I appreciate kind of the, the explorations of the, the, the whys and the exact things from time to time, but it's also just like, well, there's a reason it's just in us as well. Yeah you know, it matters. It matters for, for multitudes of reasons. And then, yeah, the, either the codifying or kind of distilling it down to some measure for productivity, or this is going to benefit this, this thing, you know, it takes away like the, 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 the the bigger piece of it that, you know, kind of goes beyond whatever the, the, the one little pill you're trying to, to grab.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And just, just recently I, I kind of realized, that I don't want my job to be explaining to people why play matters. For a long time, like I felt like I had to actually come up with really good arguments Mm -hmm. for why, why you should be embodied. Why Mm -hmm. does paying attention to your body matter? You know, why, why we should be playful, why this is like, and fuck that. I don't want to do that anymore. Like if, if, first of all, I think everyone intuitively knows why it matters and Trying to come up with the best logical explanation is just missing the point, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of what's valuable about play is actually leaping into something that has no other purpose than its own fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there, there's something there's something about that that I think is so. Um, valuable to do something for its own sake Mm -hmm. Um, and it's kind of the antidote to the ultra pragmatic addiction to Mm self-improvement that seems to be um, I mean it's a beautiful thing and it's also such a trap you know Mm -hmm. if we're Mm -hmm. always trying to grow then when is it when are we grown if we're always trying to like improve ourselves when is it okay to just rest um mm-hmm. if we're only resting so that we can be more productive is it really rest you know it's it's like a,
0: yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that's that, that's that's a beautiful point you know it's like everything is everything's done for a reason as opposed to just because
1: right and i think there's a balance right like my sense is that just as, as a culture, whether we want to or not, we're kind of embedded in the, the reason way of, of seeing the world. It's been trained into us since we were little, you know? Mm-hmm. So the just because seems to be a nice um, balancing um,
0: mm-hmm. counterpoint. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting thing because I think about it quite a bit in terms of like, you know, everybody thinks almost like we're designed, right? You know, they'll mm-hmm. say like, oh, we're designed to do this, or we're designed to do that. I'm like, well, it's not really nothing is by design. We've like evolved to, we've emerged from, right? Yeah, it's
1: emergent, exactly.
0: And you know, we have certain qualities that we have, that we have almost reasoned our way out of of utilizing, but we haven't evolved past, right? Mm-hmm like uh, our, our truly deep potential for, for listening in a full body way, right? And we get in our way with kind of sanitization of things and technology, um, but like play, but any form, as you said, like, I mean, word play, anything that involves being with something asks our senses to come alive in the way that they've evolved to and we haven't evolved past from. And I think that that's this like deeply nourishing quality that what oftentimes I think people are feeling is malnourishment, mm. right? And sometimes everyone thinks that they have these unique kind of experiences of happiness when sometimes I believe that that real feeling, that real joy, happiness, whatever that, that thing is is, is, is much closer between two people than anyone realizes Um, and it's closely related oftentimes to that kind of deep listening thing.
1: Yeah, 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 totally. I've always been blown away in workshops where um, without knowing someone's name, without knowing their history, without spending hours talking to them about their traumas and stuff, I can feel such a beautiful sense of like, oh, I know this person. I get this person just through playing a few games, you know? And to kind of feel that in the room too as I'm leading people through games to be like, oh, wow, we've dropped into a level of intimacy and really perceiving each other. That's very, very rare. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just took dropping a layer of um, poking at each other with questions Mm and instead entering this kind of listening place, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, in the, it's a wonderful in, thing.
0: In the, in, in, in the authentic way, you know? Where there's often like this funny little thing that, that happens where I always compare it to like conversations where people have their favorite stories, right? Mm-hmm. And they know that like they're their best stories. And you can yeah. feel it when the story is like forced in. And right. then the person doesn't get the, the reaction that they're looking for because the story was forced. So it's like, it's asking to listen and maybe you have your stories in a movement case, maybe it's the techniques or moves, but knowing that like there's a place and time for those stories and they're there and they can emerge when they belong in that, if you're listening and if you're listening, they may never emerge.
1: Right. And that's totally fine. Like it's, that's your superpower. You hold it. It's a precious gift. They're not bad stories. They're just like, they don't need to be told all the time. You know? <laughs>
0: yeah. 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 I'm, I'm curious. Um, I just have to say like so many people have mentioned you to me the past uh, year and a half. People like Rafe and Sam Starr, Tom Wexler, I think Marlo as well. Yeah, it's oh, like a, cool. yeah, yeah. at different times, your name is kind of like popped up here and there um, and always in like the, in the best ways and so many people being like, oh, you know, you really got to talk to Aaron mm-hmm. like for, for various reasons. And yeah, just in a few short minutes, I'm like, oh, I see, I see where that came from. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, yeah, I'm curious, like, um, you know, are where you're at, what you're presenting at, at, at this moment. You know, are you, are you teaching Mm -hmm. on a regular basis?
1: Yeah. So I I work with um, folks in their eighties online, Mm -hmm. um, just doing basic movement and kind of body um, getting them to move, getting them to, to improve their balance, dealing with aches and pains that they haven't been able to deal with through other means. We just go in there, we ask questions, experiment with moving things a little bit you know sometimes a session will start in a chair sometimes it will start standing um, so I do a lot of that online and um, yeah I haven't I haven't taught uh, a regular class in a while I have this very um, troubled relationship with the industry of embodiment Mm-hmm. um maybe that's that's being a little too like altruistic i have a really troubled relation i, I, I have a hard time organizing myself around business mm-hmm. like, i don't know my brain just doesn't work that way so um i've had websites i've let them go you know i've had like business plans i don't follow them i've like um but yeah, I, I like teaching a lot. I love what happens when, when I teach. Um, I love being in conversation with like, you know, Marlo and Tom and Ido's a good friend of mine. So I feel like I've been a very influential player in this like emergent movement culture, um, but not super visible simply because there's something like almost, uh, No, something about putting myself out there Mm. feels wrong interesting and i don't i think that's my own bullshit right like Mm -hmm. but like just just my own conditioning it's like no you don't put videos of yourself out there telling your people how great you are that's just not how it's done um so um where i'm at right now is i'm in like this little like incubation Mm -hmm. period like really wanting to like put my material out there. I feel like when I started developing this stuff, I was sort of years ahead of my time, you know, Hmm. like about 20 years ago I was teaching yoga classes and I had this insight, like, no, 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 no. 60 people are in a room and they're not looking at each other. They're not interacting with each other. We're all just doing poses. This is fucking ridiculous because there's so much potential here for deep, deep, deep connection and for real-world um, skill building. Meaning, like my sense when I was teaching yoga was that here I am helping people release the tension that they've built up through their lifestyle. And then they're going to go out there and build up the tension. Then they're going to come back and release it again. So there's, yeah, it's, it's a nice service. but how about if I created a game where people could feel the tension build up as they were interacting with someone and learn how to release it in real time. Um, so, you know, 20 years ago I started telling people to roll up the yoga mats and Let's grab yoga blocks. We're going to throw them across the floor. We're going to hop from one yoga block to the other. You know, now mm-hmm. someone's going to grab a mat. So we just came up with these beautiful like um, games where I was using yogic principles or yogic ideals or this idea of, can I be a present, grounded, relaxed human being? Um, can I feel good in my body? But can I do that when I'm actually in an environment that is not um, perfect? Mm -hmm. and a yoga studio essentially it's a perfect environment flat you know I know I'm not going to be disturbed for this period of time there's a competent instructor telling me what to do I can trust that so what if I flip that a little bit and introduce a little bit of chaos in a safe environment Mm -hmm. um anyway 20 years ago I think that was awesome um I got fired from a lot of yoga studios. I got hired back to a lot of yoga studios. And, um, but now I think the time is really like ripe for, for this sort of, sort of thing. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how to like put my stuff up there again in, in a new and
0: interesting way. Mm. Well, I think what you're talking about, I mean, a couple of, th- one thing came to mind and it just kind of like hit me as you were talking about teaching yoga and everybody kind of working alone and in an isolation and it's something that i've observed as well and i think that you know context is like totally forgotten about with a lot of these things right and things that we take from other cultures and things that are performed from other cultures that are from give it maybe hundreds to thousands of years ago things like that and you know we have something like like what you were describing and maybe at another time in history in a culture that was outside of like a, that specific practice, very dynamic and interactive in all these different ways. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then they had this time of call it more solitary, isolated kind of practice. Yeah. And it was like two sides of the same coin. Um, and then, then in this case, it's almost like, well, now we have this culture that's growing almost more and more isolated where people are practicing by themselves and, you know, not, asking to to participate in all the various forms of like communication that we can be involved in. yeah, And then go and do practices that just perpetuate it. So now we have this coin in both sides or heads. Right. right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a beautiful way to think about it. Because um, <clears throat> essentially we want our practices to bring balance to our lives, right? We don't necessarily need the practice to be balanced in and of itself. Mm. Practice is something we kind of interject into a whole life system that brings balance too. Um, So I don't need my practice to have like, I need my practice to actually help me be more fully me. You know, Mm. Um, I don't need my practice necessarily to have a, a meditative component and a stillness component, and a movement component, and a, I don't need to climb and push. And like I might, you know, I might need all those different aspects, but like, it's it's interesting to, to try to find, to, th- to think of practice as nourishment. It's like, what nutrients do you need right now? Mm-hmm. What nutrients are you getting too much of? How do you eliminate those? What nutrients are you getting not enough of? How do you? increase those how do you actually absorb it if you you know because that's the other thing if you take too much in maybe you can't absorb it so like what's the right amount um Mm -hmm. so yeah there's these interesting like culinary um nutritional metaphors with movement that i think are interesting too
0: yeah yeah that's why like i said i always come back to this like (coughs) like malnourishment thing i I, oftentimes i'll think of um katie Bauman you know talking about how we've outsourced movement um and uh i really oh oh, i lost you there for a moment amen hey
1: sorry about that
0: that's okay that's okay in some ways um it's it's fitting considering uh how uh how long it's been? I've been thinking about trying to get you on here, and how it's been kind of like uh, it almost feels like you're off the grid a little bit.
1: Yeah, totally. So, so this, sort of, I mean, it's,
0: so it's a fitting cutoff to have that happen.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's a, uh, it's strange. Sometimes I wonder if it's me, like self sabotaging, you know, like, mm-hmm. but just not not tending to my devices, making sure everything is charged.
0: You know what, though? There there, there are more important things, for sure.
1: There are. It's true. And, Um, uh, yeah.
0: (laughs) I was was saying right before we cut off, because I was trying to keep the thought in my head, I was saying um, something about, oh, Katie Bauman, you know, in Move Your DNA, she talks about um, outsourcing movement, right? And, you know, that's why our lives and bodies probably look and feel the way that they do in many ways but I started thinking a little bit about the idea of uh, us outsourcing our, our, our sensory experiences as well. Mm. Right. And, and it's one thing to kind of like reconnect with movement, but it, it, it may mean very little if we're also not nourishing our, our sensory potential and our abilities to, to, to listen in those big ways.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Big time. I mean, for for me, like, my, my interest has moved from kind of fitness-based movement, movement to be healthy and strong, to much more um, of an embodiment perspective. Like what does it mean to be embodied? I think it means to feel oneself very, very deeply to be attuned to the subtle shifts that occur and to have the skill to be able to make internal adjustments or external adjustments to um, create more aliveness not only in myself but in the in the space around me in the people around me so an embodied way of speaking would actually make everyone's eyes light up a little bit you know, an embodied way of entering a room would make everyone kind of like feel a little more present, a little more um, willing to engage with whatever's present, which might actually be deep repose and relaxation, you know? So um, yeah, movement is a very nice entry point into a whole realm that is far bigger than fitness. And for me, this is this is the hard thing to, um, I was talking about like the business brain, right? Like this whole idea of like find your niche or niche or whatever. Like it's hard for me to even wanna do that because it's like, no, I, I wanna use movement and embodiment as a portal to enter a deep experience of being a human. I have no idea what that is and how to sell that. Mm -hmm. Um, So,
0: (laughs) Right. Because at the, at the end, it's like, it's, it's, it's like proposing a value, not a system. It's proposing Mm -hmm. like um, a message and, and not something codified kind of how we started a little bit here. Um, I mean, I go through a a similar thing and I, and I realize as you're describing what you think of as, is what it means to be embodied it's you're almost exactly describing when i say what it means to be playful mm, right yeah to move through the world playfully is, is is your words about embodiment are almost the exact words that i would share um yeah. and that's a whole different thing because it changes from person to person from moment to moment from experience to experience it's not something you can just take as a package and present to people
1: yeah yeah and you know as you're saying that the what I'm realizing is there's something beautiful about play because play is not selfish for sure. Play is actually about including others. Um,
0: You're hitting the nail on the head so hard. I'll let you continue, but you're like, you're saying exactly what I thought.
1: Yeah. So, so as I was talking about embodiment, I think right now I'm kind of in a little like down on Aaron mode (laughs) which is inherently selfish, you know, here I am having this podcast. It's wonderful. I'm meeting you. And I'm thinking like, why the fuck am I not more successful? Like I know this shit. I do it really well. I love doing it. Um, So, but that's, that's an inherently a selfish kind of spiral of just Mm -hmm. versus like, I could play with you right now. Like we could Mm -hmm. have a convert. We can, we can have these conversations that expand us beyond what we already know. Like we both have thought about play a lot, but like, Maybe there's something that you and I could talk about that would actually, that's not possible, just me sitting alone or you sitting alone, or it's not possible with me, with anyone else. It's just like, what's possible right now between us, right? Mm-hmm. So this conversation, it can be a form of play, even though it's serious and we're like, um, I'm just realizing that there's something about getting out of just an inner uh, and contributing that makes play wonderful. And it's also seems to be like the least selfish, most altruistic um, way to serve the world.
0: It makes me think of two things. One is I know like in, in movement, oftentimes if conversations about great movers come up, you often hear people talk about Bruce Lee or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know enough about Bruce Lee. I've read a couple things and I watched a couple documentaries. Amazing, you know, what he can do physically and I think philosophically what he was thinking about. Um, but I'm not, I don't know enough to know if he moved through the world playfully. He might have, but I don't know for certainty. So when people ask me like, oh, like, what do you, you know, who are, type, who are the type of people you look towards? I'm very quick to say that someone like like Bill Murray
1: To me, that's like,
0: to me, that's moving through with the world playfully. I'm like the the mindset, right? Yeah. Um, And I think that that is what I wish for more in the world because that, like I say, like to be a Bill Murray, right? And people who have listened to this before have heard me say a couple of these things, like little nuggets before, but it's not about being strong, mobile, and, having a a a mountain of techniques right it's it's about being creative adaptable and cooperative and that involves another whether it's another person or a creature or the space and authentically participating with those things and then the things like the strength and the mobility and the moves fill in underneath that layer
1: yeah it's interesting i love that you brought up phil murray just because um there's a, there are ways people train themselves to be improvisational actors. You know, there are improv games, there's a whole series and it's not not a codified thing, but there are games that you have to play with other people in order to develop that skill to do that. Um, Which is so interesting because in training, you know, when I was doing purely yoga, I realize this is a great self practice. I'm turning inward and dealing with me. That's great, but that can only take me so far. I think it's still valuable. And actually, over the last year, I've been um, remembering and kind of reinventing a lot of the yoga stuff that I I practiced years and years ago, and seeing the deep value of it, especially as I get older. You know how I can really nourish and kind of. Um, preserve a lot of my my abilities through self-practice but, but there is a certain kind of practice that requires others at least one other person dyads are great but groups are great too um, and in terms of like an educational system I wish and hope that we can have more playful um, improvisational
0: education, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I wish for more... Again, another word that's thrown around, I think, quite loosely is this idea of, like, improvisation. You know, call it improv, call it free play. and jujitsu. it's rolling. Sometimes right. you, know, you go to yeah, a dance yeah. and it's open form or, or instant choreography. Um, it's all the same thing. And I wish for it to get there to that real place more often. It's a place that I feel really passionate about because unless we get there, we're not getting to the place that's like the, the life place, right? That, that's the life, right? Where we work with certain constraints, um, but we're moving and adapting to that scenario in, in whatever ways. And I think that sometimes we stop short of that in, in a lot of practices.
1: Yeah, Totally. And, that, and that's for me, like the, the exciting thing for me has been putting my mind into creating the simplest structures possible that can get us there. Mm. Um, and that's, and there's two, two things I think that are important when I teach. It's like one that I have a very well-crafted structure um, that is very much like the well-organized absence of information. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's just enough to leave a lot of gaps for people to fill in what really matters. Um, And then the other thing is explaining it to leave the mystery, but not make explaining it. So it's clear enough so that there's safety. Oh, I know exactly what I'm doing. And holy fuck, what am I doing? Both of those things have to be present in the way I present it and language it, um, so yeah, that that's been a a, a kind of teaching, growing edge for me over the last ten years or so. Um,
0: it challenges the status quo because you know you take uh, classes with a lot of people, and there's almost this like cultural obligation to stand up there and 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 project answers and certainty and and. Uh, kind of define everything as opposed to what if we don't define what if I give you questions rather than answers right but good questions right and then rather than something being certain what if I propose like a a controlled accident for you right like you kind of know what you're bringing to the table but you don't know what this this situation or this environment or this other person is necessarily bringing so well there's an element of surprise now yeah you know so it's a controlled accident and you know i guess there's this big piece of of as you said creating the safety to start to kind of enter that world right as the facilitator as the teacher it's almost that's that's a lot of weight to carry and how to navigate that in a world where it's at least in the culturally it almost exists in the opposite of that way of being.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because a lot of it's how we get educated too. In um, working with folks in their eighties, I mean, there's different personalities that I work with, but there's a lot of like, is this the right thing I'm doing? Am I doing it correctly? You know. Mm-hmm. And, and the constant is like, yeah, it looks great. How does it feel? What are you feeling right now? You know, what we're going for is a relationship with this part of our bodies. Like, what are you feeling? Um, yeah. My sense is that got
0: no sense of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think people just forget that the, um, i don't know it's almost like these are we're we're, we're not in machines to be driven we're in organ we're in organisms to be aimed mm. you know or or or, or pointed at it. you know i often think about the idea of like directing awareness rather than trying to like teach myself to do something uh-huh. Right. That's a very yeah. kind of um, uh, inner game of tennis way of thinking about it. But I think it's really powerful is the idea of like, you know, don't tell your arm how to do something. Just bring your awareness to that part of your body and kind of let the task unfold without judgment. Totally. You know. Yeah, so I mean, when, you, when
1: I was doing a lot of body work, I, mm-hmm. and my mentor was like, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing, but my hands. No. Like when I put my hands on somebody, They're gonna feel where they wanna be. And they're gonna be curious about like, huh, why is the tone here different than the tone here? And Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of that kind of intelligence that lives in the doing of. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to also link that with a a good conceptual map as well. Like it's useful Mm -hmm. for me to know anatomy Mm -hmm. and to be like, wow, I'm feeling all this stuff. Now I can go into my, and tell them, okay, cool. This is your obturator. seems like it's a little tight. That makes sense. You know, you're a runner, blah, blah, blah. Um,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember I saw somewhere online, and I don't know how many years ago this was, but you were teaching a workshop in some part of the world, and I think it was called Kinetic Koans. Yeah. Um and I've heard this term before and I didn't know it, you know, it it originated with you. Yeah. The the kinetic koan. It's in the same spirit of what we're kind of talking about, but um, I've grown to see that, you know, with, with these kind of call them movement riddles, it's easy to get caught up on the destination, but like these really beautiful koans it's, it's the destination doesn't matter so much as kind of like, the tinkering that happens in between the proposal and whether it's the destination or the non-destination, it's like the, the play in between.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, my experience with koans was from Zen. Mm -hmm. And I remember pondering this koan for a really long time. And just in casual conversation with someone else who is also, A Zen practitioner was like, Oh, I I cracked that koan, and they gave me the answer. (laughs) I was like, Fuck yeah, I got the answer to this koan. And I went to my teacher, I was like, Here's the answer. And his answer to me was, That stinks like Zen. Get the fuck out of here and come back with a real answer. So, unlike a riddle, there is, it doesn't matter what the answer is. It matters where you are when you're saying whatever it is you say is the answer. Okay. There's, there's something like that. And what I understood about a koan is that a koan is a problem that's posed that cannot be solved within the framework that it's posed in. So in other words, to, to crack the riddle, you have to step out of the frame that the riddle is presenting that's what a koan is and mm-hmm. i've always thought of kinetic koans as here's a a set of physical constraints and now try to do this thing and you just can't do it if you stay within that confined loop mm-hmm. but when you can kind of take a part of you out of it then pff, the whole thing opens up and you've cracked the koan essentially
0: mm-hmm. um yeah it's the place it's the place right of of realizing you have more options of discovering more options than you thought you had previously. And that's what I always thought of with a koan. And maybe it's, I might've read uh DT Suzuki's yeah, intro yeah. to Zen or something. And the idea that uh, a koan is this opportunity to kind of distract the thinking mind to a point that the unconscious mind has cracks to slip through. Right. Yes. And I always think of like the unconscious mind Maybe from like the, the Dan Siegel perspective of like the, this plane of awareness, right? And we get more perspective of that plane, and that's where the infinite options lie, right? So anything that creates the opportunities for these cracks to emerge is places where we we have the potential to to see the more options, right? So your proposal of like you know, um, of of letting it be the place of of discovery, not the place of solving is a, is, is, is a beautiful proposal.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I, when I, um, when I actually cracked this koan,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it doesn't really matter what the koan is, but I had a moment, I was actually leaving, I was on a plane and I was thinking of this koan, thinking of this koan and what came to me and it felt like a fucking knot being untied in my brain. It was like, I had no idea how tight I was and then what the words were? Oh, you can't do it. Meaning like I can't solve this. And there was just a like warm water pouring down my spine. Mm-hmm. And um, I told my Zen teacher like I cracked the koan. The koan. The answer is you can't do it. He's like very good. You know. So that wasn't a clever answer. It was just the place I arrived through really pounding my head on the wall for two years. Um, And in that like spaciousness, you're like, ah, yes. So much is possible.
0: Do you, do you feel like, um, because sometimes I feel like this is a liberation that I've grown to feel. And I feel like with what you just said, that maybe it's, it's similar. That through these types of experiences, and it's probably more than one of the like, the very non maybe American way of being okay with not having answers. It's, um, I find it liberating. And it's just like, when, as you were talking about that, it reminded me of the okayness of not having the reason the, the, Mm -hmm. the, the knowing that like there are age old practices where it's like, it's not about having the answer. It's about, it's about getting lost a little bit.
1: Ah, beautiful. That's lovely. I'm really grateful for this conversation because you're articulating some things that are true and dear to me, but like, and I realize I embody them when I teach, but I don't embody them, or I feel like I'm not allowed to embody them when I create a website Mm -hmm. and explain what my work is, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really, really exciting to be like, oh yeah, that's actually a deep value of mine. It's a gift I have. And how can I put that in like my promotional material? You know?
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: I don't know what this is.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's the whole video. That's the whole promo video. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Aaron <Aaroncantor.com. laughs> and... <laughs> But yeah. there's something, but there's something liberating in that in, in kind of the, what, because like I said, like, it's like, what we're, what we're, what we're proposing here is like, not going to find people who have great answers, but go and find people who have great questions.
1: Yeah. People right? who know how to live in the question well, skillful people who live in the, in the not knowing, because there's a way of living and not knowing that's just chaotic and shitty. Mm-hmm. You get around them. It doesn't feel like it's just, yeah. Um, and there's a way of being in the not knowing that's really um, present
0: mm-hmm.
1: honest um, and non-graspy mm-hmm. and I think that's that's wonderful it's like really a blessing when you can be around people who are doing that or a group of people who are doing that all at the same time mm-hmm. um,
0: yeah What's the, it's, a, it's a unique um, I don't Maybe maybe not, about. it's a u- unique combination in this day and age of, um, of spirit and technique. It's always an and, it's not an or, right? So, you know, again, to be a Bill Murray, absolutely, there's certain techniques, you know, even if it's just understanding how to like, you know, speak the English language, right? Right, and, and yeah, the, yeah. But then there's the spirit that is like interwoven with that thing that allows the, the the magic to happen in that authentic way. I think of uh, this conversation I had with one of my jujitsu teachers. I had him on the podcast and he was telling me about jujitsu and he said something so profound. He was like, you know, the art of jujitsu isn't the techniques. The art of jujitsu is the space in between the techniques. Right? So when you have facilitators or teachers, because to me, I look out in the world and it's just like, all the techniques are available. You can get them all. you can get them on Instagram, you can get them on YouTube. But when you have people who are proposing opportunities for you to explore that, that space in between the techniques, that's a really magical thing. And I think that what you're talking about is is the space in between.
1: Yeah, big time. And for me, it's also been really interesting to be like, in that space in between, that's, that's the place where technique arises as well Mm -hmm. you know so i've always been interested in like where did this notion come from where did this pose come from how did someone discover the arm bar the -hmm. triangle like um so one of the things i've tried to do in my workshops is propose games that bring us into the place where techniques emerge naturally Mm. and then ask the right questions to be like do you notice what's happening? You're developing a technique, you know? You've realized that your feet maybe have to be a little further away from your opponents and you have to lean in and that gives you, like there's all these um, technical things that actually happen in order to solve a problem, but rather than giving them first, I like to actually create the situation and then allow people to experiment with what works and what doesn't. And um, I think technique comes from there. Maybe it's a slower way to teach things. And I think there's, there's a nice, there's something nice about like, Hey, I've thought about this a long time. Try this, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. Um, a a coach and teacher can be really useful in that way too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Um, I think there is like, a nice um, feedback loop of a technique that brings you to the space where technique arises from and the mm-hmm. techniques arise from there, which then brings you back to that space of not knowing that mm-hmm. something arises out of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting thing to, to to ponder on. I've never thought this idea of like, where did where did the technique emerge from initially you know like where where did this move come from because before it was defined it was something that happened that was undefined
1: right and it probably happened a bunch of times Mm -hmm. for the pattern to be picked up you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: there's something that i do often when i practice and it's something i propose like when i do my i say workshop but i don't think it's actually the best term but um maybe playing a game, something interactive, playful, it doesn't matter. It could be almost anything. Yeah. Um, And I'll propose the idea of like, hey, why don't you pick one thing that's defined, one move that you know, or one technique. And as you play this game, allow it to emerge if it, if it, if it belongs, like if the story fits, if something is headed in that direction, and it could be anything, it could be something that is codified from fitness or codified from acrobatics or gymnastics, or whatever it's like, oh, if you just pick one though and see what happens when you place it in your brain mm. and say that you have permission when the time, when the time comes, yeah. but then also give the permission to say, but it might never happen. You might never just, you may just not arrive in that place. Mm. Uh, and it can be difficult because people start kind of like getting out of the game and trying to like find the way to force the move. But when it does emerge in that really natural and beautiful way, it's not something where it's like you've just sat there and done a number of sets of just this one move. It's been like in the context of like a life scenario where yeah, yeah, yeah. it happens. It's like it's one thing to go out and practice your bow over and over hitting a target. It's another thing to actually be out on a hunt and then there be an animal and you need to pull and go.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's nice. I like that. It's an interesting thing to hold hold something as a potential mm-hmm. and use it or not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, very hard to do, very hard to not get into the planning mind or the, to be looking for only the place to fit that thing that you do into, mm-hmm. you know? And it's interesting to hold that, just as a practice to hold that and also to be available for everything else that's occurred um yeah yeah i'm curious about stuff like your your own practice Mm -hmm. so we've been talking about playing and teaching these like beautiful workshops and retreats which is wonderful but how do you incorporate this stuff into your own practice do you do you have partners you play with do you
0: yeah um, right now i've got um i go and do jujitsu frequently but i as i say I, i go in there and i and i and I play to play, which might be um, noticeable to some people who I roll with and some people it might be not noticeable, but I yeah, go I in do with,
1: the same thing with jiu-jitsu. People are like, what the fuck? You're never trying to tap. like, I'm just rolling. I'll roll yeah. with anybody.
0: Yeah. You
1: know? <laughs>
0: like, I, yeah, I'm here. I'm I'm basically here to rough house. Um, but I also yeah. do this thing when I do jiu-jitsu and it's how I play with other people as well and how I present my workshops. Like I say... I go in with the intention of, of wanting to help my partner learn. And I always jiu-jitsu. wondered what jujitsu would look like if we both played that way. Yeah. Right. And in some contexts, the game looks like, you know, and I had, there's some great black belts are always really great because a lot of them already kind of play that way with lower belts, but I'm i yeah. I'm a blue belt and my way of helping them learn is kind of giving them all everything that I got. Right. Uh And their way, if they're thinking about it, of helping me learn is like just really listening and listening to like, whoa, what, what could I provide this person so that in the future, they're uh, a better training partner. Yeah. Right. I don't need to tap this person. I know it. Um, So it's a way to play uh, that I approach jujitsu. So I do jujitsu, but with that intention, when I play as best as I can, um, I also have a couple of collaborators who are dancers that I like to work with. So mm-hmm. we'll do like play re- research a lot now, I've been doing like partnering. So one of the people I'm I'm working with this woman named Roya, uh, she and I are gonna collaborate and teach uh, what I'm considering a, a, an event geared around listening uh-huh. uh, at Perry Dance here in New York. And I feel super fortunate to kind of be endeared in small ways into the dance space. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I go out on my own, I, every once in a while, like I, (coughs) I find maybe some techniques or some strengths or mobilities, things that I've kind of put into this, like maintenance or technique categories that I feel like I'll invest small amounts of time in, but I use all the different kinds of play to, to direct where that time goes, if it goes. So more often than not, I'll go out to the park and I'll. Turn on a playlist of about ten or twelve songs, and I'll and I'll do my version of like moving or dancing to all of them without stopping. And with each song, I'll kind of plant in a concept <laughs> or two and a, cue in a, in a, in a movement or two. That's okay. Um, and I'll um Damn. and I'll move with those as I was kind of describing to you, like maybe a move or two, a concept or two, and each song I'll just. It, as the song comes on like whatever it is that inspires me that's where i'll go and then sometimes afterward i'm like okay well i'm realizing this is feeling this way so maybe i'll invest some time here or maybe this move i could invest a little time in but i let the free play be the feedback loop to where time goes in the more defined realms beautiful yeah that's great
1: and that's yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of how you structure your practices do you have it's any a, like uh, 30 pull-ups a day kind of not structured any, practices
0: not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. But I'm not opposed. I mean, there are times where I'm like, uh, like for instance, when I got back into jujitsu after, uh, COVID and everything, I realized there was a certain kind of what I considered like maintenance layer in, in my yeah. strength that I wanted to address a little bit. So I spent some time on some like upper body gymnastics, but when I realized, okay, like now I'm feeling at least like there's the the proper bravery that I'm looking for. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not committed to holding on to it. You know, I was able to do whatever, not consecutive, but you know, in a single session, like 25 stalter presses or whatever. And I, I, I don't care about those things anymore. And it's not that they're bad got things. It. It's just that like, they were a period, you know,
1: Totally. They got you to a level.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What about you? What does your practice look like on, on, the, on the day to day?
1: Lately I've been really into uh, horse dance. Mm-hmm. So I hold horse stances for as long as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of been my conditioning, not just horse stance, but I'm, I'm using horse stance as like a, a static hold mm-hmm. simply because it's really fucking difficult. Mm-hmm. And if I chose to get out of it, it'd be so easy, right? So there's this, this struggle of like, oh my God, this sucks. And just the smallest choice could get me out of this and I will stay here. So that's, it's a place for me to ex- examine my fear.
0: Mm. That's
1: been a big thing for me um, lately. Like just facing my fear, facing my, my deep existential anxiety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I go there with horse dances and other static holes, um, and that's kind of been my conditioning. Uh, at one of the retreats that, that I was coaching with Rafe, um, I met this guy, Joel, who was a Olympic sprinting coach. And uh, he was telling me about these different static holds that this guy, Jay Schroeder, he's a, another trainer, um, has healed a lot of Olympics Olympians with. So I've been playing with static holds. Um, but essentially, like for my own personal practice, I put a timer on and I stand up and then I lay down and then I stand up and then I lay down and I do that a lot. And I try to find as many different ways to do that. And as I'm doing it, I tune into what feels really good. And if it feels really good, I repeat it or I try it on the other side. I try it fast I try it slow if there's something that feels a little shitty I'll examine why it's shitty maybe I'll reverse it um so so that's been like just a very very simple game I play with myself just up and down rewind fast forward um fall disorient myself close my eyes close one eye like there's all these different ways of doing it um Another game I love to play with myself, and this is kind of, for me, it captures the spirit of Capoeira. I grew up in Brazil and really loved Capoeira when I was there. Um, and I found some some problems with, like, the Capoeira culture. I just didn't want to join the Capoeira scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I could get, the spirit of Capoeira, the feeling of Capoeira in my body is navigating space while keeping one visual angle and never mm-hmm. letting that visual anchor be um, blocked. So an example of that would be something like, I'm looking at you, I'm looking at the camera. Now I could just kinda, I'm gonna kinda move, right? But I could mm-hmm. just move my hand across mm-hmm. my vision and I block you for a second, I block my visual anchor. So instead I'm gonna have to take my arm around. Same mm-hmm. thing with this leg, this leg could just pass across, right? But so there's this kind of—that's um, just a—you know—but if I go up and down or roll around while preserving one visual anchor, that's just a nice uh, focus game for me.
0: That's beautiful. Um, I love that.
1: Yeah. Um, it's wonderful to do in classes too, groups of people, you know. And you can change the visual anchor. Start with something, uh, object in the room, turn it into someone's body part. Um, it's a great way to warm up. Mm. Um, yeah, so I have a handful of games that I do on myself, um, Mm -hmm. and they feel great. I have some kettlebells I toss around sometimes when I'm feeling I need to, um, I do a lot of manual labor as well. I do tree work and I work on a farm. And when that work is slow or I haven't done it in a while, sometimes I just crave, um, the nourishment of weight. So Mm -hmm. I'll pick weights up and throw them and swing them and hold them.
0: Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a yeah. Everything is um, done in this like very, very playful way, right? You know, you can approach everything in 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 that way where it's like there's surprise involved. It doesn't yeah. always have to be kind of same shapes, same positions, same movements, right? Straight lines, right?
1: Right. And, and in the context of getting up and getting down, I find that sometimes I crave like, hey, getting up on this one leg felt shaky. Let me experiment with some lunges on this leg. And then let, let me go back up into getting up and get, oh, that that actually helped. That integrated this thing. You know? So there are periods of time where in exploring, I'll I'll do some remedial physical therapy workout. Mm -hmm. exercises Mm -hmm. but i'm doing it in the context of of discovering what i need and addressing it versus just kind of imposing you need to do 700 one-legged squats in order to that's the standard you know right for
0: this is what this is something that i was kind of hinting to when i was saying that like you know free play being this feedback loop right so for instance someone could be like spending day in and day out working on their front split because they saw it on Instagram, right? right? But if they, you know, they don't have to care. I'm not telling anybody what they do or don't have to care about. But if from a, a moving through life in a playful way or dancing with life perspective, mm. you might find that when you go out and, and play as, as the way you're describing that, that actually gives you the feedback and realize, oh, you know what? I'm actually having some like knee pain and that whole front split thing doesn't actually matter so like if i have a certain amount of time available to me maybe i should address the knee rather than doing the front split because i got feedback from free play land
1: totally it it reminds me of um back in my yoga day i went to this advanced yoga teacher training with a very very high level amazing badass teacher um It was a huge application process, super expensive. Best yogis in the world came. And um, it was a great training. We had a dance party at the end. And it was the most fucking pathetic, ridiculous thing I had ever seen. Like, you know, instead of just moving in a way that feels good, just being in our bodies, gyrating, everyone was fucking doing splits and handstands. And it was just like the stiffest, most awkward, disjointed thing. And I'm so grateful for that experience because it showed me so clearly how, um, where I wanted to be and where this particular practice seemed to be leading most people, you know? It was Mm -hmm. just such a juxtaposition of like, yeah, badass practice, amazing splits, great flexibility, and totally disintegrated bodies, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So,
0: Mm -hmm. Right, because it's like, you know, that can be applied to everything. Like, I always think of uh, this friend of mine who I think is, he grew up in, like, Kansas. I think he, like, worked lots of lots of things where he just put his hands in the dirt, I would say. Yeah. I think he had a number of brothers, so they, like, wrestled and played and just climbed things, roofs, built things, you know, gar- all, all of the things, right? Yeah. He can't do a lot of the Instagrammable things. But we went on a hike one time and I always think of him as somebody that I'm like, this person has such like intuitive grace and athleticism. Mm. And we were on this hike and we were coming down this mountain and we were scrambling down just a little bit. It wasn't anything crazy, but the man was bounding like a mountain goat, you know? And all I could say to my other friend who was there at the time, I was like, that's the thing that's what I'm talking about. That's to me, like what matters. Like yeah, that, yeah. that that's, that's the listening, you know? That's the like, that's the be here now, call it whatever, like it's that ability, you know? And yeah, yeah. all the other things are totally beautiful and they get lots of likes on Instagram, but they're not synonymous with dancing with life and, and being cooperative and being creative um, in those qualities. You know, they might be, but I think we'll know more when they're addressed through a playful exploration as opposed to this is what I'm like quote, supposed to be able to do because it's like a, some sort of metric or, or defined measure of success in this realm.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that story that, that illustrates something so well. And it also shows me like you're always looking. There's something about the way you approach life where you're just looking for examples of that thing, that thing you're striving for, that ideal, that um, is aliveness, the dancing with life, right? You're looking for examples of dancing with life. And then the question that I find difficult to answer, it's a tricky question as a, as a teacher facilitator. It's like, how do you invite that train it without killing it? Um, You know, like there's a, a, like a Zen, I think it's a Dogen. One of Dogen's questions was um, if a dog has Buddha nature, why do we meditate? You know, like, like, if it's there anyway, why train it? Um. But I guess it's not there anyway for a lot of people. And there's a certain amount of like intelligence missing and a certain amount of permission not given and a certain amount of practice or, or um, repeated experience in that place that is just not, not there
0: um and we I was keep gonna, that i was gonna propose as as you said that there um that it's not that it's not there that i feel like it just needs to be unearthed right um that everybody has it right so it's like in you know well, why do we meditate it's like well because we've gotten in our own way right and why can't we dance with life well It's covered with dirt, like it's there. It's not anything, it's not actually something to learn. It's something to be revealed that's always been there. But I also think that that means as a teacher, and this is something that I really believe matters and I wish for more people to propose this opportunity is that people are enough right now that they can show up and, and they can be in a, in a, in a workshop or a class or an event or a gathering, whatever the word is. And that right then and there, they, they have everything as opposed to they're coming to a class, a gathering or a workshop, and they're reflecting on what they didn't do for years that would have made them enough that day and what they need to do yeah. going forward so that they will be enough someday. The idea that like, no, 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 like right now, all we're going to do is actually just pull out a broom and, and, and reveal the thing that you have right now. And we're just going to celebrate that. It seems so small. Um, but it reminds me of taking a workshop recently or this class. And one of the teachers says it's simple, but simple isn't always easy.
1: Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean that, that to me, I used to struggle a lot with this idea and, um, essentially what I came to is that there's kind of two modes of existence for a human. Um, Mm -hmm. and one is the mode of being and the other is the mode of becoming Mm -hmm. and being is really just like, here I am, I'm breathing, I'm talking to you. I feel tingles all over my body. I'm being, I'm enough. And becoming is what I aspire for and aspire to. Um, and they're both really, really important. Like humans, I, I don't live just in the present. I live into the future. I live for a better future. I, and I, I am in the present, you know. So I think play is beautiful because in order to play, you must be. You have to be in the present moment. And the act of play also creates... Um, a bridge between the being where you are and the becoming you want to be like in this moment, I know there are options that I can't take advantage of because I'm not strong enough, but I can try and I can get stronger, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, so the person I want to be, the becoming I want to become is present in the play and who I am right now is present in the play. And yeah, I mean, I think it's a beautiful way to integrate the, the aspirational and the actual.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love it. I really love that. Yeah, I just I, I realized that like, uh, as I was presenting what I was saying, that like, the 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 rebalance that I wish for is a little just a little more being because it, when I look around, there's a lot of becoming. Yeah, and also being defined by the becoming, right? As opposed to treating it like the, the koan where it's like, well, here's the end of this task, right? You're becoming, but it, it might not actually matter. It might be this the, the tinkering and the exploration and the research that you go through in route to it's this just kind a, of- It's just a direction. Right. Yeah, it's just the direction I'm, I'm moving. Yeah, just aim, yeah, just the idea of aiming, but also being like, well, I'm I still I'm being at the same time. So while I'm becoming, I may realize that my being pulls me in a different direction, and that's also okay because I'm not defined by the becoming. I'm not defined by getting to the top of Everest, right? Mm-hmm. What 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 is moving and amazing is actually going and learning Nepalese and learning how to be a mountaineer and all the you know interactions and 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 attempts and pursuits and stuff in between you know it's not defined by the Instagram photo at the top of the mountain right mm-hmm. but it's a beautiful dance I love the idea of being and becoming I think that's a really kind of like clear and 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 concise way of of presenting it
1: yeah I mean for me it was the easiest way to kind of like yeah just Okay, that's what it is—being and becoming. You know, yeah. these are the two forces I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm having to balance all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's something also about at least back in the day there was now now I think there's there, there's a little bit more of a, um, integration. But when I looked at what was happening in the world of body stuff, there was people in the being camp and people in the becoming camp and nothing in between, you know, mm-hmm. there were the people who are meditating and doing somatic practices and Feldenkrais stuff. And they were all soft and deeply in their bodies and pretty unfit and couldn't really run. And, you know, mm-hmm. and then there were like the athletic, the athletic people who were just striving for that next thing. Mm-hmm. And were not really tuning in deeply, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. these are generalizations, but like having this, this place in between the somatic and the, performance mm-hmm. um i think this demonstrable skill performing well is a beautiful thing that can be a direction that moves us and whether we get there or not doesn't matter right what does what doesn't <laughs>
0: yeah yeah it's uh I t- I really i i tackle this often and i think about it maybe it's also part of the reason i spend a fair amount of my time dancing in parks um <laughs> because i had this guy on the podcast named steven jenkinson i don't know if you're familiar with him
1: yeah tell me tell me tell me Stephen jenkinson
0: he, he's he's a writer yes writer. holy shit i love that guy dude i had steven i had it's amazing i had him on the podcast uh after that's read,
1: incredible i'd love to talk to him
0: oh yeah i i read die wise and then a friend of mine was connected to him and he accepted the invitation it was also you know you know, probably peak COVID, where you know everybody was willing to, to participate in, in in things. But in anything, a, yeah, special conversation. And you know, I don't know if you know he's a he's a sculptor, yeah, uh, among many things. And I asked him about it, and I used the term creative expression, and he said that he doesn't like that term because it's very individualist. and He's interested in in actions as a citizen. Mm as opposed to an individual. Right. So he said, like, if, well, if I'm sculpting, like, how do I do it as a citizen versus an individual for something that's just more than me, right? And yes. maybe sculpting is an example of being like, oh, you're kind of capturing a moment in this, what's happening in, in, in your group or your society and you're presenting a piece of art that kind of embodies it so everybody has some, like, shared memory or something. But just, a, just an example. Yeah. That I'm throwing yeah, out yeah. But I think about that more and more and I'm like, oh, well, how can... Or how does something that I'm presenting—is it as an—is it an act of being a citizen, or am I being lured in by like an individualist pursuit, right? And if it is something that's feeling individualist, can I can I make a change to it to do it as a citizen, right? And again, to kind of bring it back to like dancing in the parks, it's sometimes why I think like, you know, even given opportunities to be inside, I have all sorts of reasons why I believe practicing outdoors. Should be almost the be all and end all, and totally being in a park kind of change are...
1: culture a little bit,
0: right? And exactly, and being with people and being out there and being visible to people at the very least might actually be something that like gives someone else the the potential freedom to to let go of whatever judgment they have might have on themselves and be like, oh, like I can just dance in a park, right? right? Or every once in a while, like kids jump in, and I'm like this is the thing that might matter more than just becoming a better dancer, you know? And, you know, I could also be rationalizing, but I think that like, there's a, there's a space to be thinking about the citizen thing because it's, you know, we do get caught up in not you and I was what I'm saying, but like just broadly the, the, the act of it being for an individual. And it's like, well, the nice thing about when it's an act of a citizen is that it it benefits both uh, the me and the we
1: yeah yeah that's beautiful that's great yeah leave it to steven Jenkinson to. <laughs> yeah create a beautiful pithy thing that just like oh that's nice yeah so to play as a citizen that seems like to teach workshops as a citizen not not because i need to line my wallet not because that's great that really helps me too it helps me with my uh conundrum of like, how do I make a living doing this? Well, do it as a citizen, as a service. You know, it's not just for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, because it matters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, It does matter. Hmm. If, um, I mean, I know you said you don't have anything kind of like uh, that you're teaching Outside of the, the the work you're doing with the with the groups that you're doing online, but if 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 that happens at some point, what's going to be the best way for people to kind of be aware of it or 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 contact you or anything? That's a good question. Uh, they should call me or text me. Do you want to share your number on here? <laughs> sure.
1: it's uh uh, (laughs) 857-919-0014 you can text me and you can email me either way um Aaronjusticecantor at gmail.com um yeah i love that that's that's a great way to do it i'll respond
0: (laughs) i i i hope people listen to this and and text you uh or call you
1: me too. Yeah, I, really I, hope, do. I, I hope you're flooded
0: with them. I hope you you're, you're excited about it for a day, and then you realize you have to change your number. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs>